Hello and welcome to Reef Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen The Boy and the Heron. Possibly uh, the last film to be directed by Hayao Miyazaki, Japan's great animator, one of the founders of Studio Ghibli. Um, he apparently said 10 years ago he was going to retire after mm. The Wind Rises, but he's obviously not done. And this has been some seven years in the making. I know that his producer, with whom he co-founded the studio, um, Suzuki, has said he doesn't believe this will be his last film. You know, I think they said like he's still around the studio. He still maintains a date. Like he just thinks this guy's never gonna until he dies. He's gonna keep working. You know. Well, good for us. We saw the Red Turtle together on the podcast quite early on in the podcast, which was co-produced with Studio Ghibli, and it was the same style of animation and illustration, but it was directed by a Dutch director. I think. Um, I don't think I've ever seen. Um, a Miyazaki film. Oh, haven't you? I think this is my first. So we saw this. Oh, at, God, I've seen them all. We saw this at Cineworld. It was very, very full. It's like half full screening. I've not seen a cinema that full probably since Barbenheimer. Yeah. You know, like the, there was a, people came out for this. It was offered both in subtitled and dubbed versions. And we saw the dubbed one, which has got uh, a all star cast of Anglosphere actors. Yes. Florence Pugh, Robert Patterson, Willem Dafoe, Christian Bale, etc. Yeah, some of whom I recognised immediately. So, I mean, Robert Pattinson as, as the, the Heron, I didn't recognise. In fact, I thought that was Willem Dafoe. Mm. Um, he's putting on such a different voice. Mark Hamill, I knew it was Mark Hamill. Mm. I just couldn't... I knew it, and then it's only when he came from the credits. I went, oh, yes, of course it is. Um, Christian Bale, I thought, was Idris Elba, weirdly. Ah. <laughs> um, uh, and, it, and it's great. I mean, it was great to see it in the dubbed version because, you know, it's anime, so there's not lip syncing involved. So you don't need, you'd rather be looking at the images and the subtitles. That's yes. what this allows you to do. Well, and also you want to be able to get what voice actors bring. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I suppose, as critics, to be able to evaluate what, what those actors uh, do bring. So, um, I mean, yeah, there's no reason to see it in an original version if it's an animated film. Yeah. Um, and so this story is. I'd say there's some Alice in Wonderland in it. There's some Wizard of Oz in it. Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. It's about this boy in 1942-43 uh, Japan. So it's wartime Japan. He loses his mother. In a fire. Yeah, in a fire that claims a hospital where she works. A year after that, that's, that's, that's three years into the war, he says. And then a year after that, um, his father evacuates the two of them to uh, the countryside where he also marries um, the mother's sister. Hmm. Um, the boy is, you know, he, he's isolated, he needs a mother figure, he's upset about the loss of his mother and so on. Um, and he's lured by a talking grey heron to uh, go to this tower where he says, your mother's still alive. Um, and what transpires is a journey into another world where characters come back in different forms, time has moved slightly differently, and all manner of weird and wonderful things happen. This is why I say there's a Wizard of Oz connection, because in the Wizard of Oz you have everyone in the real world represented in the other world in some way, you know? Mm. Yeah, and you were there, and you were there, and you were there, and that's kind of, that's an element of what's going on here. That's that's vaguely spoiler-free, but we'll get into, obviously, spoiler territory. Mm. I, I, I didn't get on with this film very much, you know? People have been talking about it as a culmination of Miyazaki's career. Yeah, his work, and I thought this isn't the film that that makes me want to see his other work. You know? Oh, I, how interesting! I kind of I thought there's some real, there's incredibly beautiful animation, 
and illustration in it. There are some marvellous images. Um, but I didn't get on with the story. If it, it felt, you know, things are just being made up as I go along. But I, I was also thinking, like, every objection in some sense that I had to this film, you could probably level at, say, Alice in Wonderland, which is a story that I grew up loving and reading. So maybe it's just not my cup of tea, you know? Um, I don't know. I feel a little bit... I mean, I can understand where you're coming from because I think his other films, Il Porco Rosso and Kiki's Delivery Service and so on, they're just so magical and fun and like you're with them all the time and so on. And this is... I think this is a masterwork by an old master. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, so I think it requires more of the audience and it's less fun in quotation marks. So I think there are moments, you know, that kind of drag, well, drag. Well, there, I, would, I would say drag. Okay. There are moments where I felt a bit dislocated, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, I thought from the very beginning, my God, you know, like it's every frame of painting is so beautiful, you know, to look at and it moves so incredibly well. And then I also thought, here is an animated film that is doing what live action cinema has forgotten to do or no longer does very well, which is, you know, to make a film about people and families and generations and loss and coming of age and kind of this movement of, you know, the conscious and the unconscious, which sometimes seems magical to children and which kind of sometimes feels like entering other worlds, right? Like, mm. you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a coming of age story where the coming of age is interior and internalized, right? Mm. And I thought it was magical. I thought this is my God, you know, this is what, you know, like I really felt that. Like, uh, you know, those moments where I was just like kind of awestruck saying, this is what cinema is, right? Like, mm. you know, so, so. I mean, um, it's, it's unconstrained by a lot of kind of um, conventional logic, although I'm sure everything, you know, when you look at it will have its place and its reason. But it, it moves, once you get into that other world, which takes a while to get there, I would say, but once you do get there, things start moving quite quickly and quite freely and you know you, you get those little those little um, marshmallow looking fellas like there's no real explanation given for them where they come from why they're, they're just there and they do this magical thing and they look marvelous and something else then happens and something else then happens and i can totally see kids being kind of spirited well spirited away haha <laughs> by that well but that also then ties you know to the idea that kind of children are brought by storks because actually those beings, you know, are <laughs> children entering another world, it's right? Tall, yeah. yeah, and kind of, you know, and then kind of, though in this case, the storks eat them, don't they? Or the pelicans eat pelicans, them. Pelicans, yeah. Um, so, um, so it connects with uh, other things. But I think what I liked most about the beginning, like with all great children's films, really, is that is brought forth in terror and horror, right? I mean, you know, this image, can you imagine this image of a kid's mother being burned alive while she holds out his hand to him? Yeah, and so the child's image is the mother asking to be rescued by him, calling out his name, mm. right? I mean, my God, like, you mm -hmm. would never dare do that in a, you know, in a, in a live action film. I mean, you know, kind of a young woman burning in flames, yelling out to her child to save her. I mean, that's... Like, well, not, not in a, a film that is family-friendly, you know, aimed at children. 
you know, it might be different if, if, in a more adult film, but this is... This yeah, is it might be than a horror film or, exactly. you know, in a kind of uh, an origin story for some witch saga or something. Yeah, exactly. But, you know... This is a film that's, that's <laughs> aimed at children. The audience was full of full of young kids. Yeah. Know, parents had brought their kids. and You know, you wouldn't see it in Disney, right? And, I mean, in the first five minutes of the film, I think... I think it's such rich storytelling, really, because, you know, it's, so it's all from the child's point of view, but you get such complexity. So it's a child who's lost his mother, who is dislocated from his home, moving to a countryside which he's completely unfamiliar with, you know, to a house that seems full of old ladies like witches and that is terrorizing, you know, kind of to a new person, you know, who he's never met before, but who his father is already married to, and who he's told he's got a stepbrother on the way. I mean, yeah, and who is so ill at ease and discomforted and alone and bereft and so on that he actually hurts himself with a rock so he doesn't have to go to school. Yeah, he breaks mm. his head open with a rock. I mean, that's kind of incredible stuff, right? Mm. And you get all these sense of relationships, yeah? The relationship to place, the relationship to mother and stepmother, the changing relationship to the father, yeah, kind of, you know, the, the new school, the countryside versus the city. I mean, there's so many kind of things operating kind of, you know, in those first five minutes or ten minutes of, of the story, much less everything else. I think it's, I thought it was incredible. Mm. I thought it was um, very slow and boring. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, I mean, every 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 sort of everything I didn't get on with in this film, I will put down to an issue of taste, an issue of it not really being aimed at me necessarily. Um, so, like, I'm not, I don't consider it a kind of critical of the film. It it just wasn't matching me today, you know, or I wasn't matching it, and um, and I did find it a bit patience testing at points. I kind of thought this is like prog rock, you know, like. Like, it takes a very long time. It makes no sense whatsoever. Occasionally, it has kind of really wonderful moments. But there are people who think that this is the best thing ever, the only thing worth watching. And I think, no, this is not... Like, this... I, I'm not feeling it. I'm not guessing it. Oh, I I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. I did. And, uh, and on different levels. Yeah, I thought the storytelling itself, narratively, it was gobsmacking, right? Because, you know, you have the stale that travels through worlds, right? And and that travels through, like, states of consciousness. It's a world in which, you know, a pelican can be a person, in which kind of magic occurs, in which you are in touch with your ancestors, but also in which you are part of multiple worlds. Actually, the whole beginning made me think, you know, when I was a child and... You know, I'd walk in like Jean Mans Park or something, and you think, oh my God, I better not step on that flower because you know, there's probably like 50 million worlds in that flower that are like us in the universe, right? Like that I, you know, mm. that old story about like kind of, you know, there's a universe contained maybe in that flower, that way we are maybe part of a longer universe. And, you know, maybe our sense of time is elastic, but really maybe what we experience is a lifetime to a person outside the world stepping on us is just a second. Anyway, the film brings out that kind of sense of wonder and what is time and what is space and, you know, the possibility of there being kind of different worlds and so on, um, you know, taking place around different timelines and so on, you know, which is what happens, right? Well, later on when he meets his mother, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, as a younger woman. As a younger woman. I thought that was just... And to me, it was legible at each moment, right? So so I thought that was, like, amazing to, you know, a, a kind of 
a, a, a complexity uh, of storytelling, really, that is nonetheless kind of rendered legibly. Um, and then kind of there are other elements, you know, like so, you know, when that rooster king or parrot king is chasing after them and, you know, you, you see the, the feathers in the background, really, and then he only kind of comes into being once they then move and then you see his image chasing. I mean, I thought, you know, there were moments like that that were just, I mean, you know, they're not grandstanding, thrilling or whatever, but actually they're very sophisticated and, and, and thrilling yeah, to watch, mm -hmm. you know. So um, it's not like a big set piece, but it's a tiny element of of storytelling that demonstrates how sophisticated it is. Yeah, there's some there's some great kind of subtlety to to the visual design and the animation and and framing and composition and that sort of thing that I really enjoy. I like how much birds shit everywhere. I mean, I think it's quite funny. I think it's quite deliberately. Mm. I think it meant like you got this story which could be kind of quite highfalutin and. You know, the, the, the son who has lost his mother, the mother is being replaced and he's isolated, all this kind of stuff and all the all the, the stresses and, and, and pressures on this kid. And then he gets lost in this whole other world. And he's got and he's got these birds who are kind of preying on him. You've got, you know, the heron, the pelicans, the parakeets, they're all in some way threatening to him. But at the same time, they're always leaving bird shit around the mm. place. And it's like it's kind of it brings it down a level and makes it sort of quite earthy mm. and funny. <laughs> I think that's a nice touch. I enjoyed that because also no one put no one like point. Actually, the one time someone notices it is the dad when when the birds fly out of the you know portal or whatever and um, they shit all over the dad and he seems to notice that there's birds and there's like there's a close up of going on his shoe because there's a thing about the dad has um, he thinks a lot of himself and I think the way he looks is important. He runs his factory and he's producing munitions for the war effort and and he, he status is kind of important to him, right? Like. The thing about when when uh, the kid attacks himself with the, with the rock and and hurts himself, he he says, oh, "I just fell," and the dad's going, "No, you tell me who did this so we can get revenge." Yes. You know, it's like that's important to him, right? This kind of the status and imagery and and, and that he's a powerful man. Yeah, and so it's kind of important, I guess, that that you see him in particular have bird shit on his foot. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was also kind of, in some sense, significant because. He's not just a factory owner, right? He's somebody who is making munitions, who is making what seem to be fighter planes, right? Because you have the shells. You see all the canopies. Yeah, which is kind of, I think, significant in wartime Japan, right? They could have made him, I mean, mm. the owner of a factory that made tinned goods or something. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although, although, as I understand it, that's also partially, um, the film is partially autobiographical mm. and I think he's based fairly closely on Miyazaki's actual dad and I think that was mm. so but it's not to say that's like you you then can't talk about it but I think that's one of the reasons that that mm. um, he is yes but you can read a lot of things into it from the time mm. in which it's said you know because at the end of the film for example when you know all the parakeets kind of you know are escaping their crumbling world which I think in some sense is meant to be a kind of a metaphor for you know, Japan in its last throes during the war, you see all the parakeets kind of as refugees with their bundles and packages and, mm. yeah, kind of trying to escape that world. So, you know, kind of the, the imagery is fantastical. It's a world of, you know, uh, parakeets that eat people uh, and that are always hungry, right? And that are always looking for something to eat. Mm. Uh, 
you know, but then it's kind of this place with, you know, what is very much a kind of an imagery of World War Two kind of displacements yeah. mm. uh, and refugees. I mean, it's, um, I also saw that kind of more generally the um, the stuff about the tower maintaining this maintaining this world by keeping this tower of blocks upright and having to 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 change its shape and keep it in harmony and that sort of thing um, as a kind of as a much more general thing about the maintenance of of our world and the importance of 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 looking after it and the responsibility of doing so and there's also a thing about responsibility to the generations in there because it's got this it's this um this great grand uncle figure mm. who is kind of trying to pass this job on to the kid and this question of finding harmony in and and the importance of kind of the importance of creativity i guess in that and um i just gonna say i loved because what they're looking for is prosperity beauty and balance mm. uh, so abundance balance let's talk about harmony but i don't know if you're referring to a particular line was well, it's you know when the grand uncle has all those certain pieces together mm-hmm. yeah and that they all have to like not fall in order for the world to continue mm-hmm. and he's trying to pass it on and he says that you know he's finally found stones that don't have malice in them yeah right so that he could create a world of balance he might have used the word harmony but you know i i heard balance mm-hmm. uh beauty and abundance mm-hmm. yeah instead of whatever it is that the grand uncle had created which is you know this world of malice <laughs> yeah i mean it is all you know and again i think you can look at this film as something so pertinent to our time because you know, the film is really dealing with World War Two and all the destruction that was brought out of it. And then, you know, what world comes out of that one? And obviously the world that came out of that one is our world, mm. right? Kind of, you know, which is on the verge of destruction and which kind of, you know, the battle with the environment seems to have been lost and in which kind of arguably amongst the worst victims of World War Two are now perpetrating, you know, a terrible crime on another people. So, you know, the film brings out all those questions, I think, you know. Mm. And actually, the other thing that I thought was so interesting, so a friend of ours, you know, wrote this blog about, uh, you know, how uh, his roommate died last year and how since his roommate died, that, you know, he seems to be seeing grief everywhere in cinema, Mm. you know. And of course, kind of I can understand why he now sees things that way. But of course, you know, kind of cinema is at least as much about loss which is also to say grief, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, as it is about love or anything else, right? Like kind of, you think almost every film begins with something lost at the beginning, yeah? Or, you know, an equilibrium that is kind of disturbed, disturbed right? Mm-hmm. And that usually involves a sense of loss, right? So kind of, you know, this is the case with this film, mm-hmm. yeah, that it kind of, you know, it is about loss and, and grief, and overcoming grief, at least the whole, well, three quarters of the film is involved by, is about his grief for the loss of his mother and mm-hmm. how he's not willing to replace her, you know, and uh, not willing to accept a stepmother or, you know, a new situation. Uh, so, um, yeah, and I think, you know, the film captures that sense of loss, grief, uh, acceptance. But all through a child's 
imaginings. Yeah, it is happening to a child, mm. you know, and a child that has an imagination. But of course, the film makes his imagination so vivid that it's the real world. Yeah, you know, it becomes just an alternate universe. Mm. Yeah, kind of. So, uh, uh, you know, whereas in a live action film, you might have someone say, "Oh, snap out of it!" Right? Like it's just it's just a child's imagination, or mm. he's living in a world of his own with an imaginary friend or something. Right? Like. Mm. Here, kind of, you know, animation could give like full reign to the development of that, and all, you know, kind of, um, in in aspects that are really quite surreal. And again, I think, kind of become um, kind of landmark, really, or unique, or yeah, because I think Miyazaki gives full reign to this imagination, which is very surreal. I mean, you know, talking herons. Uh, seas that are alive, uh, you know, little amoebas that kind of are in fact children in another world, a world peopled by parrots and pirates and sleeping beauties and that are your mother and, you know, women that dissolve at your touch. I mean, all of that is really kind of, you know, mm. um, yeah, quite surreal imagery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's all over the place. Yeah. So, um <laughs> Anyway, I can see you're not engaging very much, but no, I think... no, no. I'm not, I, I'm not trying to be a dick. It's just it. You know, I, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I think I was expecting something more. So I, people, you know, the, the reputation of, of of Ghibli and Miyazaki are that his his films are so moving. People constantly talk, and and they I don't find anything to be moved by in this. It's and it's not going to turn me off watching the others, but I just don't think it's the one that goes, oh yeah, I I, I have to see the others now. Mm. You know, well. Um... I think his films are very moving. The depth comes from the way that people connect with them. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, and I and I actually also don't think that this is to me his most moving, and nor is it his most easily accessible, mm. which almost all the others are, you know. But I do think that this is really like a masterpiece of cinema, and very rich and kind of operating on many levels and worth you know, many other viewings, I think. Yeah. Well, if, if you like this sort of thing, it'll be the sort of thing that you like. And if you are, you know, more generous or in a better mood than me, you will have a really good time with it. It was worth seeing it on a big screen. It looked wonderful. I mean, some of that imagery at the start, the, the stuff, you know, when, and, the, and it's the repeated imagery that comes back in the kids' nightmares of the mother in flames is astonishing to look at. It's mm. incredibly animated. The way that the, way that the fire you know, it distorts the, 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 the line drawing behind it. It's, it's amazing to look at. Some of it is really remarkable. Um, I just I, I just spent a lot of the film going, okay, where is this going? You know, how long is this going to take? And, like, because because things, because kind of plot developments and one thing after another seemed to happen so frivolously and so at random, you kind of think, I don't know how long this is going to take to finish because there could be five more hours of this or it could end in 20 minutes. Mm. They could just decide on a whim to, you know what I mean? I had an issue with that. I, I just wasn't in the zone with the mm. thing. Um, but that's just me. Some people will really, really love this, and it is worth seeing it on a big screen. It's also, I think it's it's the it's supposed to be Japan's um, most expensive animation ever. I think it's the first Miyazaki film and the first original anime to go to number one at the box office in the US and Canada. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of it's breaking records, and it's, <laughs> it's getting a good reputation already. I'm the outlier here, uh -huh. know, so don't listen to me. All right. Well, on that note, I highly recommend it. I think it's a very great film, and I and I do think it's 
you know, one can see it as the work of an ancient master about childhood. And, and that combination of those two things, you know, someone who seems very wise and has a lot of experience and has lived a long life, you know, but then is looking back at that moment of childhood. Uh, I think the combination of that is to me really magical. Mm. And certainly it's an incredibly gorgeous film to look at. Mm. Uh, so I highly recommend that people see it. Yeah, good. On that note, uh, we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Blue Sky, uh, eavesdropping.bsky.social, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>